Isn't finding love and happiness often considered the pinnacle of life goals? And don't we all hold personal relationships as the key to achieving this goal? In fact, research supports that the most important determinant for a person's happiness is the quality of their relationships. We spend years trying to figure out where our hearts belong. And when we finally know the answer, we sometimes can't help but run away in fear. To be emotionally vulnerable with someone isn't for the faint of heart. Having a fear of intimacy is perfectly understandable, especially if you have a history of failed relationships and emotionally distant or absentee parents. It leads us to pushing away those we love most, often without meaning to. We constantly doubt the stability and security of our relationships. We waste so much time stewing in indecision that we miss our chance to be with them. With that said, here are seven telltale signs you may be suffering from a fear of intimacy. One, you're afraid of abandonment. Oftentimes, a fear of intimacy stems from a deep-seated and unresolved fear of abandonment. Those who grew up with neglectful parents and have an anxious avoidant attachment style are most likely to develop this fear. With this fear at the back of your mind, you learn to adopt a positive view of yourself, but a negative view of others, thinking the only person I can ever truly count on is myself. You think that it's always better to leave before you're the one who's left behind, and so you're reluctant to let people in and struggle with long-term commitment. Two, you're fiercely independent. Don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with being independent. Of course, it's good to be competent, knowledgeable, and self-sufficient but you should also know how to ask for help when you need it. If you're too independent, you will try to do everything on your own because you take pride in never needing anything from anyone. In a lot of ways, it's what makes you feel in control of your own life and enables you to keep your emotional distance from people by never allowing yourself to depend on them or need them. You are feeding your fear of intimacy by making sure you never have to succumb to having others fulfill your needs. Your independence gives you freedom by keeping everyone at arm's length. Three, you always fall for the wrong ones. Do you have a history of falling in love with all the wrong guys or girls? Do you find yourself attracted to people who are emotionally unavailable or distant in some way, or maybe abusive, rude, or unfaithful to you? Picking unhealthy partners is a common characteristic seen in those who have a fear of intimacy because it allows them to avoid getting too close to a person or ever having a stable or secure future with them. You might find damaged, aloof, or complicated people more appealing because you want to avoid intimacy and thus end up rejecting the ones who are actually more sincere to commit. Four, you tend to be flaky. Being flaky means to be inconsistent in our behavior towards others. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice of reason back in the building. You already know what it is. Tough conversations on the way. We've got to have them. Do you know how much fun I have curating these conversations? I, I mean, it, it means the world to me. This is probably one of the only spaces I really get to open up and express myself the way I really want to. Sands the profanity. Yeah. <laughs> but again, these are conversations that are needed, that, that are must-have 
discussions. And what's interesting is uh, tonight's topic was given to me uh, by one of the chat room's most prominent uh, participants, uh, Miss JB, right, sent me the uh, topic and was like, can you cover this? And I was like, absolutely, right? So here we are. Here we are. Tonight's topic, what you running from? <laughs> a deeper look at why some people run from intimacy. Goodness gracious. People do do this, by the way. Right? And right off the top, let's get the one reason for why they do this uh, legitimately, for why they legitimately do this. Let's get the one reason for why they do this legitimately. Uh, many people run from intimacy because they've been hurt. So we got to give them we got to give them that off rip. Somebody betrayed, somebody disrespected, somebody minimized, marginalized, somebody did something that made them say, "Uh-uh, I'm cool on intimacy. We good." You got to remember, for a lot of people, many people don't know that intimacy is more than sex. Intimacy is talking. <laughs> just talking you know about meaningful stuff that that's intimacy right so let's get that one off the table because I, I i'm talking about the mother folk though who are wounded in some way well they're, they're all in the same bucket oh gosh let's get to the questions true or false the intensity between people may be followed by temporary distancing, a need for space that maintains the equilibrium of one or both partners and later enables them to resume intimacy. I want y'all to hear that. Sometimes intensity, the intensity of a healthy relationship, the intensity of a good relationship can cause people to go, whoo, this, this is a lot. Uh, let's get some temporary distancing going <laughs> so we could just take a beat. True or false? The intensity between people may be followed by temporary distancing, a need for space that maintains the equilibrium of one or both partners and later enables them to resume intimacy. Sometimes good relationship can cause people to run from intimacy. Did you know that? Huh? What are some common reasons why people avoid building intimacy with others? And how do these reasons vary across different age groups and cultures? How does fear of vulnerability and emotional exposure contribute to people's reluctance to build intimacy with others? And what are some strategies for overcoming this fear? Why are you running? I want to know, why are you running? Huh? Run. Let, let me just say this. All of us are dangerous partners. Did you hear me? People out in the KBLA universe, are you listening? Everybody is a dangerous partner. 
right? Because every relationship is going to have conflict. Every relationship is going to have misunderstanding. Every relationship is going to have anger. Every relationship is going to have disappointment. Every relationship is going to have a letdown. Every relationship is going to have moments of disrespect. Every relationship is going to have moments of consternation. Every relationship is going to have moments of frustration. So that means everybody is dangerous, right? In that moment, when your image of your partner has been fractured and you go, wow, they're not who I thought they were. Ooh, ooh. Huh? Every relationship is going to have that. <laughs> I know people don't want to hear it tonight. I, I know you don't want to hear it. So what, what we tend to do is pull back when the image is cracked. Right? We tend to pull back. We tend to run a little bit. We tend to shift, you know, our nurturing reserves, our understanding reserves, our empathy reserve. We, we tend to shut the, the spigot off. We tend to turn it down a little bit. Let's turn that faucet down so so much of it won't run out. Because maybe I'm pouring into something that isn't deserving of what I'm giving. Am I lying? 1-800-920-1580. How? Do past experiences of rejection, betrayal, or trauma affect people's ability to build intimacy with others? And what role does therapy or counseling play in addressing these issues? I got questions. Y'all think I don't come with the questions? I got so many. I can't ask them all, but I'm going to ask a couple more. How does social media and technology impact people's ability to build intimacy with others? And what are some ways to cultivate deeper connections in the digital age? Everybody in everybody's business. <laughs> Just understand that. Everybody's going to be in everybody's business, all right? Please understand that. That's, that's just part of what's going to happen, okay? But I want to know tonight from you, your experience, why do you run? I told you everybody dangerous. So you can leave one dangerous person and get with another one. The dangerous lesson will continue. You know, people are not catching up yet. Let me get let me get deeper. People haven't caught up yet. They're going to say, Zoe Williams said this 10 years ago. Zoe Williams said this five years. Zoe Williams said this two years ago. Let, let, let me tell you. Because people still have it twisted. Right. With regards to who you choose. I keep telling folk. Your ego told you you chose somebody. But the reality of it is. Your ego didn't choose them. Your wounds did. Your attachment style did your communication style chose your nervous system chose them. You didn't choose them. But it, how we process it is, you know, I don't choose well. Everybody you choose is for you. Or your spirit wouldn't have recognized them. See, somebody going to get it right. At some point, somebody going to get it right and go, you know, so William said this a few years ago. You he, see, your ego is thinking, yes, I chose right. He looked good on paper. She looked good on paper. Come from good stock. Come from good family. And they, they, they was raised in a good neighborhood. And that, no, no, that ain't it. 
Your spirit is choosing for lessons. For what? So you can so you can have just you know this experience so you can have uh some type of vocabulary to articulate what you've been through. No. Your spirit is trying to resolve stuff. Your spirit is saying, this is in me and I need this interaction, so I'm going to choose this person. Somebody going to get it right because they've been saying, uh, you know, you're going to have to learn how to choose better people. And the best way to choose better people is to create better boundaries. First off, if you don't heal that wound, that boundary becomes a bunker for the wound. It becomes a bunker. And let me tell you this, a buster is a bunker buster, a side buster, <laughs> a goofy person comes into your life that is compatible with the wound and he knows how and she knows how to bust that bunker. I know y'all not ready for tonight. I, I know. I, I, I know. There are many reasons why people may avoid or run from intimate relationships. When I come forward, I'm going to dig deeper, and then I'm going to go to the phone lines. Reasons. The reasons that we're here, the reasons that we fear, our feelings won't disappear. Disappear. You're listening to The Voice of Reason with Zoe Williams on KBLA Talk 15. Ladies and gentlemen, why they running? (laughs) My playlist is my co-host. You already know who that is. The incomparable Charlie Wilson when he was in a band. Specifically the Gap Band. Come on, man. Can't keep running in and out of my life. So many people are afraid to be hurt by the ones they love the most. Do you know that's where the most piercing hurt comes from? From the people that love you the most. Prince said it the best if I were your girlfriend. Would you run to me if somebody hurt you, even if that somebody was me? Disney punked all y'all. Y'all thought it was supposed to be happily ever after. No, it's happily right now. And if you can hold on to the newness of the now, The sweetness that the now offers. See, many people hold on to the bitterness of the past and the hope of the future. But see, no, 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 no. It's about holding on to the newness of the now. See, what is an apology? What is forgiveness if you keep revisiting the infraction? Huh? Are are you, I forgive you because I don't want to let you go. But really, you still hold, you holding on to me and the infraction. You got to let go of one of us. <laughs> you understand? See, you can only have a relationship with one of us, you see. You can't hold on to the infraction. See, what's going to happen is, I know people don't want to hear it tonight, but I got you to give it to you. If you hold on to both, you're going to cultivate fear of vulnerability. Intimate relationships require a high level of vulnerability, which can be scary for some people. Opening up to another person and sharing your deepest thoughts and feelings can be intimidating, especially if you've been hurt in the past or in this current relationship. 
So if you're holding on to me and the infraction, you're cultivating fear of vulnerability. You're also cultivating the fear of rejection. Oh, you might not know it. The possibility of rejection can be a major deterrent for some people when it comes to intimate relationship. The fear of being rejected or abandoned can be overwhelming and can lead some people to avoid relationships altogether or hold on to them. Listen, you'll stay in a relationship and you won't give. What, what, what won't you give? Intimacy. Right. You'll give limited parts of intimacy. You'll start giving diet intimacy, diet empathy, diet compassion. Well, you know, I'm still holding on to the past. I'm still holding on to that and you. I'm monkey branching with the infraction you committed against me or somebody in the past committed against me. And I'm holding on to you. And you're cultivating all of these reasons for why you can't be uh, vulnerable in the relationship. There's another reason. Past trauma, past experiences of trauma such as abuse or neglect can make it difficult for some people to form healthy attachments and trust others. These experiences can lead to a fear of intimacy and a reluctance to enter into a relationship or leave one. Low self-esteem. People with low self-esteem may feel unworthy of love and affection and may avoid relationships as a result. Why are you running? I'm talking about why are you running? Why are you running? I'm giving you the answers right now. Huh? Low self-esteem, like I said. People with low self-esteem may feel unworthy of love and affection and may avoid relationships as a result. They may also fear that they will not be able to meet their partner's needs or live up to their expectations huh what about personal goals as a means or a reason for why you avoid relationships some people may prioritize their personal goals such as career or travel over intimate relationships they may uh feel that they uh do not have the time or energy to devote to a relationship or may feel that they are not ready for a commitment Overall, there are many reasons for why people may avoid or run from intimate relationships, including fear of vulnerability, fear of rejection, past trauma, low self-esteem, and personal goals. It is important to recognize these reasons and work towards addressing them in order to form a healthy and fulfilling relationship. But let me tell you, I believe many people have made toxicity and brokenness the norm. It might not feel good, but it feels familiar. And I think many people put more emphasis on maintaining the known. Now, you heard what I said earlier today. Even healthy relationships can be overwhelming when all you know is toxicity. Uh-oh. Sometimes you get overwhelmed and have to step back and go, wait a minute, that's too much. It's too good. It's, it's, it's the cheesecake of relationship. It's too rich. I can only eat a spoonful of it. It's too sweet. <laughs> Sometimes. Do you understand? But even beyond that, don't you know the pursuit of pleasure is the inevitable 
pursuit of its opposite, you might not be looking for pain. But if you're pursuing pleasure, if you're pursuing it's going to be all right, if you're pursuing everything going to be good, if you're pursuing we're going to make it, baby, we're going to make it to the top, we're going to the top, you're the next Lenny Bruce. If you think it's going to be all good, trust me, Life is designed to reveal that opposite to you. You going for pleasure, pain is right there. Pain is the payment for pleasure. When I come forward, I'm going to the phone lines. Get up here. I want to talk to you. He's on fire tonight. It's the voice of reason with Zoe Williams exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580 different insecure attachment styles really struggle with it. So it's kind of stereotyped that the avoidant attachment style is the only attachment style that deeply fears intimacy. I think that is oversimplified. I think that the avoidant attachment style is the only one that fears intimacy consciously. So what that means is that on the surface of their brains, in their thinking, working memory systems, they have a fear of getting too close, okay? But that does not mean that they're the only type that unconsciously has a fear of getting close. But because this is kind of the most classic intimacy avoidant type, I'm gonna start with the avoidant and talk about why they fear emotional intimacy. So there are multiple layers to this, all right? And I'm going to kind of peel back the onion as we go through this video because there are things that they fear that are more conscious and things they fear that are less conscious for them. But the deeper we go, the more strongly it's actually likely to be impacting them because the stuff that's right at the surface of our awareness, we can deal with on a conscious level and we can form strategies around that we practice. But what's unconscious for us is often what we have more trouble changing because we process it without realizing we're processing it. So by the time that information arrives in our conscious brain, it's not direct and unmuddled in a way that I'm gonna explain as this video goes on. So layer one for the avoidant attachment style of why they fear intimacy is actually about self-regulation. So using an avoidant attachment strategy means that you over-rely on self-regulation and under-rely on co-regulation. And what that means is that you don't necessarily turn to other people to process your emotions, to help you feel better when you're struggling with something. Instead, you turn to routines, things, activities, whatever it is you can think of that can help you change your mood without having to disclose to another person what's going on with you. But this doesn't happen quite the way that it sounds like it might happen, and this is a really common misconception. So people tend to think of someone using an avoidant attachment strategy as someone using an anxious strategy who's just like white knuckling it through their need to talk to other people and connect. But because avoidantly attached people learned so long ago not to co-regulate, it doesn't actually occur to them to do that, okay? It's not like they have a feeling that arises in their mind of being upset or whatever it is and they think, mm, I could call my friend, but I'd rather not. I'd rather just be strong and get through it myself, right? That's actually more similar to how an anxious or fearful avoidant person would process a difficult emotion that they want to learn to self-regulate through. For the avoidant attachment style, they have set up their entire lives around being able to keep themselves emotionally stable without even consciously realizing that they're doing that. So you'll often see with people who have avoidant attachment styles, let's say certain routines that they're very attached to, or they'll kind of always be planning out what their next move is, what the thing they wanna do next week is. They tend to set up their lives in such a way that they are always somehow giving themselves small comforts, even though that's not what they consciously process themselves 
else to be doing. So someone who wakes up at 5.30 a.m. every single morning and hits the gym and then meditates and then eats a healthy breakfast, what they're doing is keeping their environment controlled so that they can expect what they're going to feel over a given course of a day and they're not going to be too thrown off course. That's one possible strategy for consistent self-regulation for someone with an avoidant attachment style, right? Is making sure that they have a routine set up that means they are going to stay relatively emotionally stable, even through periods of upset. Because if you know, if you can predict what's going to happen in your environment, and you can predict which things you're going to do for yourself on a daily basis that are going to keep you feeling stable, centralized, and in control, that is emotional regulation right? Or on the other side of things, on this channel we talk a lot about Myers-Briggs. Let's say you have an avoidantly attached person who is a perceiver. They might always be planning their next adventure, planning the next thing they want to do, planning their next business venture. They will have something constantly in their awareness that is helping them to regulate their moods. So if they don't like what they're doing now, or if they don't like their life at the moment, they have something to look forward to that does not depend on anyone else to fulfill. And that's the important part. So <laughs> Oh, oh, you didn't think the onion had that many layers, did you? I see Arabia in here taking notes and looking at me sideways. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I didn't do it. What I know is people take this relationship stuff a little too lightly. What, what, what do you mean, Zoe? Remember, everybody's dangerous. Everybody is a work in progress. And you think, oh, yeah, we love each other. You think, oh, yeah, things are good. You think, oh, yeah, nothing's going to happen. That ain't how life work. You don't know what's in the depth of your partner's soul, even though you guys have professed love. You don't know. But whatever is in that soul or in your souls, it's going to challenge the love. Uh-oh, I know people didn't want <laughs> You're going to find out if the love is pure or if the love is superficial. You're going to find out because that soul piece is going to come up and it's going to ask the love questions. And you're going to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, I got callers. People want to talk about this. Who's been on the longest? Sean, Oakland, California. Get in here. Brother, what a, another amazing show. Zoda, the voice of reason, and I'll tell you what, um, you challenge people, and that's the most important thing. When I say challenge, I mean cognitively. So co-regulation, co-regulation. So most people have no clue what that means. They have no clue. I'm going to tell you what it means because it's so important that people overlook it they don't have a clue. Co-regulation means, let me say, me and you here, Zoe, I'm not demanding anything from you. I have no performance demand of you. We are just together in this space, together, but we're together in a relationship, right? We're just here. We're just coexisting, right? That's co-regulation. Until you have that, you cannot go to any next step, whatever it is that a lot of people where they make mistakes in relationships because success in a relationship requires presence. It requires presence. 
that's how the other person understands that you care for them, mm. that you understand that, you know, you're there for them. It, it requires um, your presence. And by the way, I mean, know it sounds kind of funny, right? I mean, sometimes, oh, I got to be talking all the time. You know, I'm chatty. I'm very chatty. I do all that. But I understand the difference when I'm with my better half. You know, I'm sitting there and we're just together and we're enjoying the moment. There's no performance demands. And don't be afraid of success, people. What I mean by that is don't be afraid that nothing, you know, crazy is going on or nothing really cool is going on or nothing amazing is going on. You're just there with each other, hanging out. That's success. Mm. You, I'm serious. Mm. I am so serious here because you don't have to go through all the social media stuff and all these I want to say phony, you know, um, everyone's living I, in the lap of luxury you, and all that. You caught yourself. I love it. Keep going. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Sean. We yeah. got to come forward. Yeah. But I want you to finish that thought. When we come forward, we going back to Oakland, California. My brother Sean is cooking with grapeseed oil. Is it good to you? Good to you. More Voice of Reason with Zoe Williams when we come forward. Don't be like me, brothers. Make a safe place for her to run to you instead of running from you. Your presence, as Sean was talking about, is important. Boy, when you miss those presence appointments, it just ruins your relationship. Your your woman might want to run from you as opposed to run to you huh you have to be her escape it can't be the escape from us <laughs> let me get away from us because this ain't it do you understand what i'm saying people are running for different reasons and whether i run to you because the presence is there that makes me comfortable that's a form of escapism or whether i run from you because the problems feel insurmountable. That's a form of escapism. But brothers, don't be like me. You better create a safe space so she can run to you as opposed to running from you. All right, Sean, get back in here, man, and finish your thought. Hey, <laughs> I, I will. I mean, you know, you say it this way, and I agree with it, which is whatever you need to do, to get away from your wounds because you don't want your wounds to be applied to anyone else. It's very important. And a lot in, you know, in the clinical terms, they call it crisis, right? You got to get out of crisis. You got to get away from your wounds, whatever that takes, that's going to give you that I'm present for the other person. It's not only for the other person, your kids, your friends, your family, mm -hmm. okay? It's everything, because I guarantee you that your friends, family, anyone that you're with 
is going to notice when you are in crisis, and they're going to be worried about you, and they're going to want to try to help you, but they can't help you unless you help your damn self, and it's not that easy. I get it. I get it. I've been there. I got I had crisis hit upside my head, but get through the crisis, get through the wounds, and even if they're not completely solved, because maybe they'll never be solved, that you're present for the person you want to build something together with. Mm. Good stuff, Sean. We appreciate you. Thank you for the insight. You brought Oakland, California in the building. You know the rules. If you want to bring your city in the building, all you got to do is call me at 1-800-920-1580. JW, South Central, get in here. Hey, Zoe, uh, I'm calling for information. Now, I recall you saying that uh, people choose, um, they think you're choosing based on their ego, but actually, I believe you say emotions as well as nervous system. Am I correct? Yeah. Okay, uh, could you break that down, the nervous system? Because I can wrap my mind around uh, uh, a spiritual uh Explanation. I believe you did mention that as well, because I'm the person that called you and said, I, I recall choosing my family when I was in heaven before I was born, and that was a, a spiritual connection. Um, that I can't wrap my mind around, but the nervous system, I'm assuming that's a physical uh, aspect. So could you uh, break that down or inform me or enlighten me? Oh, oh, oh Yes, I can. Uh Sorry, uh, Andy was talking to me, and I'm trying to listen to you as well. But if I'm correct, you're saying, how does our central nervous system choose for us? Correct. Okay, there you go. All right. So, you know all of this uh, psycho talk starts with Freud, goes into, well, people before Freud, but we're talking about the big major ones that became superstars. Freud, then Carl Jung and others to proceed afterwards. Uh, now, modern day time, we talk about Patrick Carnes, and he talks about trauma bonding, right? But your traumas are recorded onto your central nervous system. When I say recorded, this is how your brain works. Your brain is connected to your central nervous system. So oftentimes these patterns, which create synaptic connections within your brain, this, this becomes your normal, whatever your experience is, right? And now okay. your central nervous system tends to interpret, right, what is coming in, whatever is coming in that is perceived as new or foreign gets pushed out. This is what they call confirmation bias, right? We get hit with so many bits of information all the time, but your central nervous system filters out all of the stuff that's not normal to us. Now, imagine if your normal is toxicity. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? So, yeah. so we think the person we are, my, my name is Charles. I chose her. I chose Suzanne. No, you didn't. Your central nervous system did. Based on okay. its known, whatever your known okay. is. Do you understand? Okay. How you, yeah, yes, how you interpret it, comprehend it. Because um, I used to hear other people say your picker is broke. No, but, but your no, picker no, no, is accurate. 
Yeah, I know, I know. That's what I was about to say before you said no, because based on the way you broke that down, it, it is your picker, and it is accurate, and your picker is not broke. So that's why I want to confirm that. So I do agree with you. Yes, I comprehend. So, yes, yeah, so it's based on that, that trauma and what you interpret as norm or dysfunctional, and you might identify it as that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what it is. That's what it is, brother. I appreciate the call. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for sharing your insight. JW, South Central is in the building because of you. If you want to bring your city in the building, all you got to do is call me at 1-800-920-1580. Now, Patrick Carnes, the term trauma bonding was originally coined by Patrick Carnes. And I want you guys to understand uh, what trauma bonding is. Trauma bonding occurs when a narcissist repeats a cycle of abuse with another person, which fuels a need for validation and love from the person being abused. Trauma bonding often happens in romantic relationships. However, it can also occur between colleagues, non-romantic family members, and friends. So again, whenever somebody coins a a term like that, words are used to describe what's happening in the body. The psychosomatic connection, psycho-mental, somatic body, mind-body, psychosomatic. So, oh, they're trauma bonding. Well, where in your body can you find the trauma? The tension, the pain, that, that right in the back area, right there in that, your lower lumbar, right in the shoulders, psychosomatic, right? It manifests itself. But it's also psychological, which means it's a thought process. And whenever you're dealing with that, you're interfacing the brain. The brain is interfacing the central nervous system. This is what's happening. You think you're choosing the person. No, no, your picker is perfect. Your ego has an idealized person they want to be with. Your ego wants to date an image. But your spirit is choosing from what is unresolved. When I come forward, more from the desk of the Voice of Reason. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica. And closeness. Okay, fair enough. And and that's a very common fear. You're not alone. You may think you're alone in that, but you definitely aren't. And it's also a justified fear. I mean, if you allow someone to be close to you, then you open yourself up to them and they can hurt and betray you. So, of course, there's reason to be afraid. So so what do you do about that? Well, there's reason to be afraid of lack of intimacy and distance. You want to be alone for the rest of your life? That's a frightening thought. In all likelihood, it's not that easy to get through life on your own. You know, it's lonesome and difficult. And if, if you're in trouble, you don't have someone to help you out and you don't have someone to help when they're in trouble and you don't have anyone to share your triumphs with and all of that. So that's not good. So you might be afraid of intimacy, but you should be at least as afraid of its lack. And so maybe those fears can balance. You know, you say, well, I'm afraid of intimacy, so I won't go there. Well, you're not afraid enough of being alone. And so you got to bring that up. You're not afraid enough of being alone. You're more afraid of intimacy than you are of being alone. Now, that, that's a mouthful. Ladies and gentlemen, 
The Voice of Reason exclusively on KBLA. Yes, you're listening to the VOR. And we're always on fire on KBLA Talk 1580. Tonight's topic has been a monstrously good one. And I want you guys to tap in if you can. What you running from? A deeper look at why some people run away from intimacy in relationships. We've asked a ton of deep questions we have a lot of callers on the line. We're going to get them in from all over the country, of course. Uh, intense closeness may result in unexpected effects, man. Temporary distancing, even in a good relationship, uh, when that intense closeness, it, it can be overwhelming when you're used to relying on just you and yourself. Uh, a lot of people run from intimacy for those reasons. Difficulty trusting others, man. People with intimacy issues may struggle to trust, even those who are close to them. Fear of vulnerability. People with uh, intimacy issues may also avoid opening up emotionally or sharing personal information with others. Uh, again, it even goes as far as avoidance of physical touch. People with intimacy issues can also avoid physical touch or intimacy, even with romantic partners. Uh, then it transitions to difficulty expressing emotions. Many people who suffer from intimacy issues may uh, avoid opening up and, and actually sharing how they feel, expressing how they feel, or you know may feel uncomfortable when others express their emotions. 1-800-920-1580. Get to your phone lines. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. The voice of reason is about to cook. Of course, there's fear of abandonment. Many people are afraid of abandonment. People with intimacy issues may not engage in a relationship because they fear being abandoned or rejected by others, which could, uh, again, lead to a reluctance for e to even go into a relationship, to even form one. Um, and then also, you, you got to look at their experiential history. Is there a lack of close relationships? You know, people with intimacy issues may have few close relationships and or may struggle to maintain them when they do cultivate them. Uh, uh, and let's even let's go to the bedroom. Difficulty with sexual intimacy. People with intimacy issues may also struggle with sexual intimacy or may avoid it altogether. Eeh. And then here's the monster. This this here's the gigantic side. Emotional detachment. People with intimacy issues may appear emotionally detached. I like to use the word indifferent, not emotionally invested. You know, communication style is labeled as it could be labeled as avoidant. Right. Right. May appear emotionally detached or may struggle to connect with others on an emotional level. It is important to note that everyone's experiences, experiences intimacy differently. And some people may not experience any of these signs. However, if you are someone you or someone you know is experiencing any of these signs and it's impacting their relationships or quality of life, it may be helpful to seek support from a mental health professional. Dr. Deshauna Johnson, Dr. Sunshine, Dr. Pacoya Robinson. What about even Epiphany? Not even even. She's in there. This is like the super friend of women uh, clinicians that I know, black women clinicians. 
What about Mayumi McKinley? She can get in here and cook with the best of them. We would love to have them come in again, and they will be back. Don't worry. They will be back. But you have to understand, people run from intimate relationships. Now, remember, running to the relationship is an escape from self, too. Relationships can't hide you from you. I've said this before. Relationship is a highly reflective classroom where the biofeedback you get from your partner is your personal curriculum. So, again, you can many people hop from relationship to relationship trying to keep reliving the newness of it and trying to. OK, they keep, you know, going because that the, the, the stimulation, then the endorphin rush. And then when the mirror shows up, then they try to leave. Right. Again, that's escapism. Running to a relationship to hide from yourself is escapism. Running from a relationship to hide from yourself is escapism. What do you mean hide from myself? I just gave you the whole list of ways people hide from themselves. Fear of vulnerability, fear of rejection, uh, unhealed, unacknowledged past trauma, low self-esteem. Do you get what I'm saying? These are all signs, right? Right. Somebody who fears intimacy, low self-esteem, have trust issues, uh, experience episodes of anger, uh, actively avoid physical contact, uh, have trouble forming or committing close relationships, have a history of unstable relationships, be unable to share feelings or express emotions. See, when it gets down, when the rubber meets the road in the relationship and you got to show up in this way. When you exit stage left, that's escapism. Do you understand? I want y'all to understand that's that, that this is what is happening. Please understand this about intimacy. In your life, right? In your every intimacy is a crucial aspect of any relationship. But some people tend to run away from it. This behavior is often associated with the avoidant attachment style, which was first introduced by John Bowlby. The avoidant attachment style is characterized uh, by a fear of intimacy and a tendency to avoid emotional closeness with others. If you're securely attached, you're going to be hurt if your partner cheats on you. You're going to be hurt if your partner lies to you. You're going to be hurt, disappointed, frustrated, angry if your partner did something to disrespect the relationship. But if for the most part, you guys have a good relationship, if for the most part, you guys got more uh, to experience, you got more good than bad in that relationship, a securely attached person is going to find a way to make it work. They're going to find a way to heal. They're going to heal themselves. They're going to offer healing and support to their partner. There's going to be forgiveness. But when you're dealing with the aforementioned, the things that I mentioned before I began to read this, those wounds linger longer. The avoidant attachment style is characterized by a fear of intimacy and a tendency to avoid emotional closeness with others. In this show, we will explore some of the reasons why people with an avoidant attachment style may run from intimacy in relationships. One of the primary reasons why people with an avoidant attachment style may run from intimacy is due to their fear of being vulnerable. Vulnerability is an essential aspect of intimacy, and it requires individuals to open up and share their deepest thoughts and feelings with their partners. I know brothers ain't doing this. 
Many brothers are not doing this. <laughs> Brother, you got brothers. You got to open up if you want her to open up. And we're not talking about open it up for you. You know, men take it to the physical. Open it up then. Let's go. That ain't the only opening that's available. There's a spiritual opening. There's an emotional opening. There's an empathetic opening. There's an intellectual opening, right? Men just bottom line it. You, you just open it up then. A lot of men don't understand that there are levels to opening. And they start with how open you are, brother. Go ahead, Andy. <laughs> Nah, man, just you just saying that, man, it reminded me of my girl a couple weeks ago, man. She got on my head because she felt like I wasn't being vulnerable enough. She felt like, you know, maybe I was hiding certain things, you know, and she just like expressed to herself, expressed to me that she wants to know every, like every, everything. Wow. Wow. When I talk about everything, I mean everything. Wow. Wow. <laughs> so it's just funny that you said that. Wow. It's true. It's fact. Sometimes you're not psychic. Sometimes you're just insecure. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Because, listen, you're not going to know everything about me. What do, you, what do you mean? I put my right leg in my pants in the morning first, then followed by the left. You know, my knee is a little shaky, so I, I lean on my right leg more than... No, no, you're not going to know all of that. I used to love corn pops before they change the ingredients. Now, my favorite is Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Listen, you're not gonna know all of that. And why is that necessary, right? Oh, man, uh, all right. The voice of reason, we in here tonight. We cooking, we got phone lines cracking. Let's do this. Listen, if you wanna bring your city in the building, all you gotta do is call me at 1-800-920-1580. 1-800-920-1580. Who's been on the longest? Nazarene X, Atlanta, Georgia. Get in here. What up, man? What's love, man? What's happening? What's happening? <laughs> Ain't nothing too much, man. I think, like, again, that uh, the essence of it all, one is that a lot of people maybe haven't really solidified their own definition of what intimacy is for them or even haven't had that flat-out conversation with their person of interest or their partner to say, like, well, what is this concept of intimacy to you? And even sometimes maybe presenting it uh, like a conversation or a discovery mode. Again, when you're getting to know somebody, you know, to an extent, we already kind of account for different people having different life experiences, different uh, definitions and, you know, things that make their story what it is. You know, so if everybody has it on mind, if the aspect of intimacy is important to you, that potentially when you're getting to know someone, being willing to have a conversation and allowing your partner to present their truth so that y'all can work with that as grounds for, you know, focusing upon where things align, where y'all can establish a, a mutual ground of understanding and respect. Because a lot of times, maybe due to someone's own traumatic experiences revolving around intimacy or the idea of intimacy, they're expecting that their partner is going to be another version of that because by default, you know, we are creatures of habit. Like, we recognize patterns naturally. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, again, that could be 
the so-called justifiable reason why people run away from an idea because they haven't been given or they haven't even given themselves the opportunity to accept that whom they're dealing with is on the same page with them. Oh, so hold on, hold on, because you know I got to, you done came with some stuff, so now I got to get involved. Now I got to, there go, there go nephew. Now, now I got to get involved. See, I wasn't even trying to get involved, but now I got to get involved because you done said something. Now, this is what we going to do now. We going to hold tight and move forward. We go, we going to go forward. But, brother, when we return, when we come forward, brother, let me tell you, I'm going to deal with what you just said. That was heavy. Let's go. Reasons. The reasons that we're here, the reasons that we fear, our feelings won't disappear. Disappear. You're listening to The Voice of Reason with Zoe Williams on KBLA Talk 1580. Man, I curate all of the music on my playlist. Ain't that right, Andy? I'm not trying to go. Hey, I pick every song, man. Don't, man, my playlist. Don't play with me. Play with your playlist. Don't play with me. You underdick. My playlist is my co-host. And tonight, man, we are talking about some heavy stuff. Why people run from intimacy in relationship. Now, the record that we just played, that's Rihanna. The record is called Desperado. Great record. Uh, love the, the, the story underneath it. Uh, but again, here we are talking about something really deep, something really profound and coming from a really broken, you know, kind of mediocre kind of person. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like nobody sitting in me anyway. I'm not going to sit in this chair and proclaim to be perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not going to sit in this chair and proclaim uh, to be the perfect partner, the perfect person, the perfect parent. Uh, I'm not those things. You know, all of those things have peeled back layers of my soul and revealed different uh, layers of understanding, right? Different levels of understanding for myself. And... The one of the valuable lessons that I'm still in the process of totally digesting is when a layer is peeled back, lean in. Oftentimes, people refuse to lean into themselves, which is why they can't lean into their relationship or lean into others. Uh, it's it's a tough space to be in, you know. I want you guys to understand another way why uh, uh, another reason for why people may have an avoidant attachment style it may and may run from intimacy is due to their fear of losing their independence people with an avoidant attachment style tend to value their independence and autonomy above all else they may have grown up in an environment where they were expected to be self-sufficient and to take care of themselves. And as a result, they may have learned to rely on themselves and avoid situations where they feel dependent on others in a relationship, right? 
And in a, in, in a relationship, intimacy offers re- often uh, requires individuals to rely on each other and make compromises. For people with an avoidant attachment style, this can be challenging, and it may feel as if they're losing their independence. But what if they willingly gave up their independence only to be rejected? What if their whole life they thought this way? I'm not giving up my independence. I was raised to be self-sufficient. I was raised to do it myself. I was raised to depend on myself. I was raised to handle it. I was raised to manifest answers now. I was raised to get it done. And then they meet the one person that gets them to let down the walls. And then those people, as soon as you let down the walls, they start to act like, "Mm, maybe not. But when the walls were up, they were like knocking on the door. Huh? What about that phenomena? Sheesh. Dr. Delena was telling me she was like trying to psychoanalyze me. You brought her in here. I blame you, Arabia. She was trying to psychoanalyze me. She was like, so how did you arrive at this current ideation? You know, she's deep and she got that voice. Right. <laughs> so I was like, oh, you 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 trying to pierce the veil. That's what you're trying to do. So I gave her one little nugget and that's all she needed. I was like, you know, I was just I was just raised to do it myself. She was like, oh, so you keep people at arm's distance. I was like, oh, hey, hold on. Slow down. Don't 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 dig too deep now. (laughs) She was trying to. But sometimes it's soul crushing when that happens, when you get to a point where you say, you know what, I'm going to open up. Then you get dinged because you opened up when you were able to open up. Mm. Talk to me, y'all. Phone lines are open. Nazarene X, get back in here and finish your thoughts. Man, I'm trying how you deal with the with the elephant in the room. Uh, <laughs> let me just throw this up up in the air for you, huh? I believe a lot of times too. Uh, I just imagine that a lot of our residual responses to being traumatized or betrayed and things like that, they tend to come with, if you're not, quote-unquote, like just down on yourself and like really just scared, scared Mm. and fearful and resting in a place of despair, I think the other side of that is like a level of energy that just comes with a tone of violence, right? Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily to be violent, but like we'll lash out at things that hurt us, right? So I think sometimes while we're still inside having that type of, uh, how you put it, instability within, like if you're not in control of your emotions and you're you're easily tipped off or like, again, you don't feel like you have a grip on how you might respond to adversity, that I believe becomes a cycle to where, again, people feel like it's okay to, where they think they're drawing healthy boundaries, that's where they're actually escaping. Because the flip side is like, when you present someone with, like, if you're really passionate about something that you're not going to come up off of, like, you almost have to present someone with an ultimatum. Or at least, like, you, how you say you put someone on notice, like, again, regarding, uh, for example, someone's family members or children. To an extent, it's hard to have that conversation where it's like, I, 
Solomon is or has a child and she's considering opening up that door to let the man of interest meet her kids. But behind the scenes, she feels like, hey, look, bottom line is I'm willing to kill about my children. She might not want to lead with that energy. You see what I'm saying? So she might avoid the entirety of those type of situations strictly because in her mind she's protecting her children. But we have to remember, I I hear the example that you're giving, and, and what I don't want you to do is frame it as justifiable. It might be justifiable in the moment, right? It might be justifiable in the moment, but we're talking about moving forward as an evolving being. We we, we have to take opportunities to heal and grow up out of uh, maladjusted coping mechanisms. And I would believe, and I tend to lean towards this ideation that uh, anything that is avoidant will eventually sow seeds of conflict. Right. So, yes, like you're, you're projecting you're, that. Um, yes, you're giving a good example for why somebody would be avoidant. But what you don't want to do is say, hey, here's a pat on the back for avoiding that, because at some point you got to be able to go through the fire. Through the crucible right. and, and be transformed. And that's the key to it. Yeah, again, don't get me wrong. I'm not necessarily what it's like having compassion understand it for it but the key again is to emphasize like everybody's gonna make their own decisions so until you're willing to lean into the truth of who you are more fully again just like you you're not even being that intimate or that real with yourself inside like again you're already running from yourself so that's basically the whole the whole trick bag is like Wait, I can't let you, you just keep man. rolling, brother. We don't you you oh, got I gotta I gotta get so, you to start looking at the it. clock. I gotta get you to look at the clock, oh, brother. <laughs> Nazarene X, I love you, brother. Atlanta, Georgia in the building. Listen, if you wanna bring your city in the building, you know the routine. Call me. one 800 920 When I come forward, we're going to Battle Creek Mission, Michigan. We're going to Austin, Texas. We got a lot still left to talk about. He's on fire tonight. tonight. It's the voice of reason with Zoe Williams exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580. Understanding the diagnostic process for a personality disorder is difficult, but Dr. Romani makes it simple. In this episode, she explains how the path to a diagnosis should and should not look and walks through the seven criteria used to diagnose avoidant personality disorder. All right, Dr. Romani, what goes into diagnosing somebody with avoidant personality disorder? You know, Kyle, as with all personality disorders, it's not just sort of like a, a quick and easy kind of a process. Many times when, we're atten- when we come to the diagnosis of a personality disorder, it can require multiple interactions with a client to hear about how they're doing in various areas of their life, with their friendships, in their family, with a partner, at work or at school because personality disorders tend to be pervasive 
So if this is just somebody who doesn't want to do a sales talk, but they're doing well in those other areas, it takes time to get all that information. So at the core of it, in order to figure this out, we need a, a series of clinical interviews, or at least to start treatment with someone. If a person with avoidant personality disorder came into treatment, they may very, very well come into treatment because they feel lonely and they feel frustrated and not being able to connect to other people, that might be what brings them in. So when they're brought in with that kind of a presenting issue, we're going to think about a lot of things. Is this person socially anxious? Um, is this person depressed? Uh, you know, what's going on here? And then we'll dig deeper. And once we see the pervasiveness of it, it might take us even a few weeks, maybe even a few months to land on this summit squarely. We'll also look at, for example, how do they perceive how other people view them? Is this more about being anxious or is this really about feeling inadequate and that people will reject them? People who are socially anxious are just more reacting to the physiological reactions they're having at that time. And yeah, they do worry about, you know, screwing up, if you will. But for the person who is experiencing avoidant personality disorder, it really is. It's, it's the fear of rejection, the fear of criticism, the hypersensitivity. The themes are a little bit different. So it's a really nuanced kind of a path. And I have to tell you, I've worked with clients for maybe the first six weeks. I thought he's socially anxious and about week eight or nine, I'm like, no, this might actually be more pervasive than that. And it'll show me how, how much more severe and consistent it is. And then I might do a little bit more work once I realize it's avoidant personality on sort of unscrambling those fears and focusing on it more as a pervasive pattern than as an anxiety disorder. I would imagine that most people come in for depression. It's, depression is probably one of the, the primary leading causes of why people ever get into mental health treatment. Mm -hmm. But I have to tell you, there's also a lot of stuff of life that get people in relationship problems, dating problems, but a lot of it's relationship problems. And that's a lot of what brings people over the threshold of my office. Problems in a marriage, problems with a parent, problems with an adult child, something like that and that we can break it down from there. So sometimes people will even come in with an entirely different kind of an issue, and then it'll, we'll end up coming in a back door on this one. So it really takes a lot of interviewing. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Dr. Romani. You know how the Voice of Reason does. We mix cl uh, clinical thought with spiritual thought, with philosophical thought, and wrap it all around relationships. We want to talk about how we relate. And tonight's topic, why, what you running from? Why are you running from relationships? People, some people uh, who run from relationship, uh, you know, some, some, let me say, it. people with an avoidant attachment style may also run from intimacy due to the fear of being engulfed. You know, that feeling of being overwhelmed. Engulfment refers to the feeling of being overwhelmed or suffocated by another person's needs and emotions. People with an avoidant attachment style may have experienced this in their past relationships where their partners may have been overly needy or demanding. As a result, they may have learned to avoid situations where they feel engulfed. <sighs> That person looks like an octopus. I'm out. Right? Right? They may avoid that. In a relationship, intimacy often requires individuals to be emotionally available and responsible to their partner's needs. For someone with an avoidant attachment style, 
this may be challenging as it may trigger their fear of being engulfed. The phone lines are cracking. Let's get people in here to talk about it. Who's been on the longest? Reggie, Austin, Texas. Get in here. Hey, what's up, Zoe? What man, up, I, um, I lo- love the conversation, man. Um, I, I think we're we're kind of, well, maybe it's me that's, that's missing a part of this discussion because, um, you know, I'm part of that group that that bought the books, that bought the self-help books, that got the coaching, that that that, that went through the counseling and all this and that, and is just fixing himself. Okay, um, and so you, you don't, you, you're not avoiding relationships. You're kind of retreating, and retreating is just just stepping back, you know, reassessing, and then moving forward. And I mean that's part of healing, and so it it seems like if you just retreat, you kind of lumped into the people that are avoiding things, and I, or, I don't think I'm avoiding anything. Or, or you're lumping mm-hmm. yourself. Point taken. Yeah, yeah by by overthinking it because your path is your path, mm-hmm. right? So it, it it's inconsequential for what others are doing. Your path is your path. Now, if you start to evaluate and judge and, you know, like kind of look at yours and compare yours to them, then you may come up with those ideas that says what you said. But I'm saying none of that is relevant to your process. None of it. What anybody else is going through, what anybody else is doing, none of that is relevant. You probably just came up with that idea yourself that you're being lumped in with being avoidant as opposed to taking a step back. Right. And the reality of it is in your universe, it's taking a step back. Right. Right. There you go. <laughs> Simple enough. All right. <laughs> right. Works for me. <laughs> what, 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 what you want me to do? Say, no, your universe and its rules nah, are wrong. Nah, nah. Uh, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Nothing like that. <laughs> nothing like that. No, nah, no. Nah, I just it just seemed like it was it was all one thing. And it's, it, it, it was just a totally different thing. But Add another, works, works wait, hold on. Add another layer. Yeah. Add another layer. It mm-hmm. seems like it's all one thing, right? That's yes. what, That's what you said, right? Absolutely. Now, mm-hmm. add two words to that at the end. What are those two words? Come on, Reggie. To me. To, to <laughs> me. That's yeah. it. Yeah. See, let me let me mm-hmm. let me hip you and thank you for this, man. Thank you. I knew he was gonna come and give me something. Thank to me. Mm-hmm. See, yep. I tell people go look up a type of English called English Prime. English Prime is used by theoretical physicists because the mathematics of decoding physical reality is so advanced that our language is limited in trying to explain what the math is seeing. So what they figured out is the math can't be brought fully into articulation, the articulation of a language. So we got to get rid of is. We can't say what something is definitively. Because we, mm-hmm. we, we started off by saying the atom is the smallest piece of reality until we got technologically advanced enough to know that that was a lie. 
English right, Prime right. is English without is. When I come forward, I'm going to go even deeper. Stay with me, Reggie. Austin, Texas, we on fire tonight. Is it good to you? Good to you. More Voice of Reason with Zoe Williams when we come forward. Come forward. I cherish the day. Maybe logic was invented by John von Neumann in 1933. Von Neumann is the unappreciated genius of modern science. Scientists appreciate him, but the general public, I don't think, has ever heard of him. He wrote one of the best books on quantum mechanics. He was one of the pioneers of programmable computers. We wouldn't have internet without him. Anyway, maybe logic, uh, one of his major inventions, uh, Instead of dividing everything into true and false, like Aristotle, which only applies in the abstract, Aristotelian logic only applies if you ignore the sensory, sensual, space-time continuum in which we live. If you, if you take into context, we live in a real universe, which we're touching things, bumping into things, kissing things, loving things, hating things, throwing rocks at things, and so on. You realize that most of our perceptions are in the maybe mode. They're not yes or no. They're not true or false. They're just maybes. I think maybe. So uh, that is author, famed author, Robert Anton Wilson, author of the books Prometheus Rising, Quantum Psychology, and many, 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 many others. And what he was saying, this is when he was a little older and he was really ill, so a lot of people may not have been able to hear him clearly. What he was saying was, uh, maybe logic was created by a physicist by the name of John von Neumann in 1933. Uh, again, to explain fourth dimensional mathematics. Uh, he was saying prior to the invention of E prime is what it's called. He calls it maybe logic, uh, but uh, von Neumann called it E prime, that is English prime, English without is or to be, because again, uh, reality was being changed by quantum mechanics, the emergence of quantum mechanics. And before that, before E prime was used to describe what the mathematical models were saying about the universe, uh, they used Aristotelian logic, Aristotle, right? Uh, Aristotle, his logic is limited. His logic is linear meaning it's either yes or no. And quant with the advent and the emergence of quantum mechanics, logic started to shift to maybe because we were getting deeper and deeper into the atom, deeper and deeper into the electron, deeper and deeper into the quark. It, you get what I'm saying? So apply that to relationships. Most of our ideation about relationship, most of our expectation, most of our beliefs, most of our expectations are really rigid. There's not enough maybe in it. And what Robert Anton Wilson said was, he said, if people used maybe logic in their everyday lives, he said the world would wake up 50% saner because we would stop making declarations that we think are true, we would start to reframe. From my perspective, it looks as if this may be the case. 
That's using E prime. And uh, instead of saying, you know what? Use a liar. And this is why. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? E prime takes is out of it. From my limited view, from my limited experience, this is what this reminds me of. Now, I could be wrong, but from my perspective, this is what it feels like. And because I'm emotional about it, my perception could very well be off. That's E prime. This is what it's looking like, but that don't mean what it is. Do you understand? Technology is more advanced than your psychology right now. And I'm trying to bring this to the table. This is why your relationships are fragmented and broken. I know y'all not ready for what I do. I, I, Reggie, get in here, man. It seems like you're saying that we have to round the edges of our arguments and of, our, of everything as far as our relationships. We can't take ourselves so seriously and we can't take our relationships so seriously. We got to give them uh, the room to, to grow into what they're going to be. How about that? <laughs> um, and that makes sense to me as far as spirituality. That's, I mean, that sounds like faith, to be honest with you. And it sounds like hope, to be honest with you. And hope is not just some, some, some figment, but hope is something that you work toward. Well, no, let's, I get that. let's get deep. You said it sounds mm -hmm. like faith. Well, yeah. if we take faith from the Bible, James, second James, the word faith from the Aramic Hebrew, Aramaic Hebrew, or Aramaic Hebrew. That word faith ain't what the English word, I said ain't, ain't what the English word purports it to be. You know what that word faith is? In the Bible, in its original language, do you know what it is? I don't. Amen, amun. Fact, beyond a doubt. It don't mean believe. Believe is an English word and a Latin word. The etymological root of the word believe is be lie. Be lie. To give the lie away as a gift. When you spell believe out, because for many people, speak English speaking people that are Christians, faith and belief are interchangeable. But the scripture in English told you faith without work mm -hmm. is nothing. It's dead. So again... Right. Faith in the Bible is fact beyond a doubt. Proof. Not belief. Belief from the Middle English, Belalogian. The lie is a gift from me to you. From Belai. Here, here's a gift for you. The lie. That's what the word believe actually means. Hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? That makes sense. Yeah, it does. That <laughs> makes sense. You've been played. You've been bamboozled. You've been hoodwinked. <laughs> You've been taught to think away. That's what I'm saying. Many people are at a certain level of consciousness and they don't realize that their consciousness is being or their reality is being formed by the limitation of their consciousness. That's all the more reason to round the edges of your argument. And you can't be e so critical on yourself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You can be so critical of yourself and, and your process. That makes a lot of sense. Hey, man, I, so grace. I love you, brother. I got to keep it pushing. Real thank talk. you, Reggie. Right, man. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Lord. How am I going to do it? I got to get Heru in. He's been on for too long. But we have 58 minutes. Heru, you got to make this quick, brother. I'm sorry. 
Peace and love to the family of nations. We're going to move on. In the streets, we say game recognize game, spirit recognize spirit. And the reason why I'm not committed to you intimately in intimacy is because I know that I don't want to be with you. Boom. Peace and love to the family of nations. Boom. Love y'all. Please stay yeah. safe. Came in with the truth. Daryl from Tuscaloosa. You got 15 seconds. You better make it good, Darnell. You better make it good, Darnell. You got 15 seconds. Hey, hey I want to build on what you were saying. I don't want to say what I was going to say. I want to Daryl, Daryl, you um, got 10 seconds, man. I got to get out of here. Like what, what you were saying with Quincy Jones when he said, hey, when whenever uh, you leave yourself, you stop hearing yourself, guys leave the room. God leaves the room when fear kick in. That's right. Hey, man, I appreciate you. Thank you, Darnell, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Ladies and gentlemen, up next, RSVP with Jill Monroe. She's going to keep the fire lit. Zoe Williams, the voice of reason. I'll see you next week with another slapper. Deuces. I wish that I could fly into the sky so very high. I fly above the trees, over the seas, and all the greens to anywhere I please. Oh, I want to get away. I want to fly away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to get away. I want to fly away. Yeah, yeah. KBLA 1580 Santa Monica.